welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of the hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm Charles Sheeland, the other amazing host. And today we're on episode 75, which is absolutely insane. Somehow we've made it already to three quarters of a hundred. And this episode will be covering the entirety of The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. Yeah, as best friends, we share books with each other, in which one of us is reading a book for the first time and one of us is rereading, generally. And generally, we try to alternate between series that one of us has read and the other hasn't. But right now we're actually doing sort of like a mini unit of single books. So these are four books of realistic fiction, and they are vaguely centered around themes of sadness and trauma. And they're all super short books, so we're covering each book in a week rather than when we do our series, we normally divide a book over two weeks. Yes, and I picked out this book, The Fault in Our Stars, because I've read it before and seen the movie, and Charles has never read it. So he will be summarizing the plot in a second, but I just wanted to provide a little background first for the novel. So this I mean, was written. Can we just say, it is this podcast truly only works because I am so uncultured and I just like don't participate in culture and pop culture. I mean, yeah, basically, I remember when I proposed this book, I was like, "You haven't even seen the movie. You don't know anything that happens." And he's like, "Nope, I have no idea." And I'm like, "This is perfect because we're getting the raw reactions from Charles." Whereas Truly, like, the only thing I knew was Ansa Elgort, Shailene Woodley, and she has cancer. That's all I knew. Like, I didn't even know that he had cancer. Like, truly, that's all I knew. Thank goodness for Charles <laughs> being sheltered. <laughs> it's not that I was sheltered. I was just like, you I'm know about what this. I mean. But like, from you just didn't get to experience these things. It serves a greater purpose now. Wow. Here we go. Anyway, back to the intro. So this was obviously written by John Green, and the book was published in 2012 with an eventual film adaptation made in 2014, starring, as we said, Shailene Woodley as Hazel Grace and Ansel Elgort as Augustus Waters. And this was Green's fourth solo novel and sixth novel overall, and it is considered his most popular novel. And in 2014, Green returned to his alma mater, Kenyon College, to give a seminar called Thoughts on How to Make Things and Why, and he discussed part of his inspiration for The Fault in Our Stars. And the video of the seminar is on YouTube, so if anyone would like to check it out, feel free to just search up that title when you finish the episode. But he talked about after graduating from Kenyon College in 2000, he spent about five months working as a student chaplain at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. And ever since then, he worked on what he called the children's hospital story. But for 10 years, he couldn't ever really finalize what the story was, and he kept going back to it until a good friend of his actually died of cancer. And he finally went back to the story and He was obviously very angry, and he just needed to work through it through writing. And this good friend of his was Esther Earle, who is named in the book's dedication, and she served as part of the inspiration for Hazel Grace's character. Esther was diagnosed with metastasized papillary thyroid cancer. Sorry if I didn't say that exactly right. In 2006, at the age of 12, and in 2007, her cancer was determined to be terminal, and she passed away on August 25th, 2010, at the age of 16. 
In a 2014 Washington Post article by Evangeline Earle, which is one of Esther's sisters, titled My Sister Esther Inspired the Fault in Our Stars, the movie is her sequel, she explains how she was actually with Esther the weekend that she met John Green for the first time in person at a Boston Harry Potter convention in 2009. And Esther was a huge fan of Green's, and their relationship actually served as a clear parallel to, as we'll find out through this episode, how Hazel feels towards the author of her favorite book in this story, and Esther's wish through the Make-A-Wish Foundation actually had John Green and some other authors come visit her in Boston in July 2010, shortly before she did pass away. And again, this is just like how we'll eventually discuss how Hazel uses a wish to visit her favorite author in Amsterdam. So this, honestly, doing the research on this was really interesting because I didn't know any of this. I only read the book one time. I saw the movie, but I never really did a deep dive. So it was really cool to like learn more about the inspiration for the story. But I'll just finish with the inspiration for the title, which was obviously inspired by Act 1, Scene 2 of Shakespeare's play Julius Caesar, in which the nobleman Cassius says to Brutus, the fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves, that we are underlings. And with that, I think Charles can go ahead and get into our summary for today. Okay. So, as we've mentioned, the story follows a teenage girl named Hazel Grace Lancaster, who has been diagnosed with thyroid and lung cancer. And she's a teenager, and she's handicapped by the need to constantly be connected to an oxygen tank because of her um, impacted lungs. And at her support group for cancer-wearing teenagers, she meets Augustus Waters, who has osteosarcoma. Um, I think that's the correct one. Which is a type of degenerative bone cancer, I believe. Yeah. And they start to fall in love, and they're navigating both being young and being in love, but also the potential of death in this. And they start to discuss a book a lot, and they go to meet the author in Europe, which we're going to talk about. And at this point, it's revealed that Augustus's cancer has unexpectedly come back quite aggressively, and he passes within about a month or two of returning from Amsterdam. So that's the general plot. We'll get into it. Yeah, my quick impression was that this was a super easy read, as in, like, not complicated, and the writing flows really nicely. Like, I found it incredibly easy to just continue reading. You know how sometimes, like, prose is a little clunky? Like, I I would read, like, straight through for, like, an hour at a time. Just, like, boom, 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 no problem. You mean, like, divergent when, you know, we would... The next sentence would be in a yeah place, exactly. I would no be like, idea I'm not where I, I don't know where I am. Like that's not what this was. This is it flows like the expression. You know, it flows off the tongue, but except it flows off the page. But I do think it was hard to read emotionally. Obviously, just due to the subject matter, like they are talking the about topic. cancer the whole time, and I'm sure I'll get down to this a little near the end. Um, but it definitely was incredibly personal for me, and I can't imagine that it would be that way for many people as well. Yes, I definitely agree that it was really sad. I mean, even on the reread, like, obviously I knew how the story was going to end, but it was very hard. I do think, I feel like the book takes, I feel like at the beginning it's very lighthearted. Like, yes, obviously we're talking about cancer, but it just feels a little bit more hopeful or maybe that's just how I felt because again I know it was going to happen but as Hazel meets Augustus and everything I feel like there's a little bit of hope in her life 
until we, you know, get to the things at the end. And I feel like then things obviously get a lot darker and deeper. And for me, my biggest takeaway is I just, for me, I just didn't remember realizing, spoiler alert, but not really because we finished the whole book, that Augustus does die at the end of the book. I feel like I remember reading it the first time, like just being so devastated by that death. And we'll talk about it a lot today. And especially when we get to the end about, I just didn't really remember there being like it being so obvious that yes, he was going to die in the end. Oh yeah. We'll definitely talk about that. So I wanted to start with the opening note that John Green has written in. He's basically said, I want everyone to know that this is fiction. And just because it's fiction doesn't mean it's not important, but also like, And he basically says, like, that's what makes humanity humanity is that we tell stories and that we can learn things from stories that are made up as well as real. And I was like, that really sets the tone for the book. Uh, So I just thought it was really nice that, like, it's nice to read that in. I, I felt apt. And so we're starting reading. We start reading. It's from Hazel's perspective. And... She has an excellent sense of dry humor, which, you know, I noticed right away. Like, at the beginning, she has this iconic line where she says, depression is a side effect of cancer. And she, you know, she's just delivering these lines in a very dry way that makes them really funny. Like, she describes getting her period as, congratulations, you're a woman, now die. Because that's also when she got diagnosed with cancer. And it was just, you know... Not saying that the subject matter is funny, because obviously it's not, but her approach to it is really funny. Or even just like the fact of the way she describes the support group as being in the literal heart of Jesus Christ. It just, I think it's really funny. Like, it's a, it's a fun thing to read. I think it's supposed to be comical. It's, again, it's finding the lightheartedness, finding a way to laugh even when you are suffering and going through one of the worst things some people, especially as such a young person to go through. I think it's, I think that's what I mean by like, I feel like the first half of the book, like hers and as we'll find like Augustus's sense of humor was just really like lighthearted and really heartwarming. I feel like. I agree. But anyway, since you mentioned the support group in the literal heart of Jesus Christ, there was a very funny line that I actually giggled when I read it. Uh, was basically was Hazel was talking about a 12-year-old in the support group, a young boy who has leukemia, and she says how in the support group they're, like, supposed to say how they're feeling today, and he's like, I'm feeling okay. And she says, or so he says, because he'd taken the elevator, which it's in the basement of the church, and she was like, people only use the elevator, like, when it's their final days, like, they're about to die. So I just thought that was really funny because she's just like so straightforward with her like this such dark morbid humor but like it's just unexpected I feel like that is what makes it so funny yeah I agree with that she's brutally self-aware and it works it works I think especially it sets the tone or it sets the tone a little lighter at the beginning because we're getting it dark yeah so she's in support group and a really hot guy is new he's staring at her and then Augustus comes over and he's like, you're so beautiful. And I was literally like, this could be Twilight. Like, <laughs> this is the same plot as Twilight. Like, the average girl 
who no one else has ever noticed, somehow she catches the eye of the hottest guy who only has eyes for her because she's not like other girls. And just like Bella, with, you know, her vampire boyfriend, Hazel just goes over to his house the same day she meets him. I mean, I know that he's friends with Isaac, so it's not like he's a complete random person. But, like, she just goes over to a complete stranger's home. And I'm like, you can't run. I mean... Like, she cannot physically run, and... I mean, I guess does have, like... She clearly sees that he has a limp, and it's revealed that he's missing a leg. Like, he has a prosthetic leg. So I think she was, like... She was, you know, assessing the level of danger, and she's like, it's worth it. It'll be fine. I just think it's because he's hot. But, But, I mean, that too. And they're super flirty and they're exchanging book recommendations, which again, I was like, this is not real life because what teenagers, um, what, what teenage boys read? Cause I'm like, I don't remember any emotionally intelligent teenage boys offering to chain exchange book recommendations with me when I was in high school, but you know, that's fine. And she shares her favorite book, which is this made up book called an Imperial fiction with him. And he totally loves it. And he ends up writing to the author and he actually gets a response, even though she sent him, like, the author multiple, like, physical letters. Augustus is able to figure out to send him an email, which ends up working. And I was like, that alone would totally make a teenage girl fall in love with me. <laughs> Not me, but, like, anyone. Like, yeah. if you, like, I had a favorite book series. It's still one of my favorite book series of all time. And I thought about writing to the author. Sadly, he's now passed on. So that's kind of sad that, like, I missed that opportunity. But, like, um... If someone had been, like, on the second date with me and was like, by the way, I wrote to the author for you. In high school, I would have been like, you've just made my life. Whereas, you know, (laughs) now I'd be like, stop creeping. (laughs) Too good to be true. Get away from me. Yeah, I'm like, I don't believe that. That's not real life. Yeah. So, obviously, she, after that, is definitely very interested in Augustus. But she's trying to kind of guard it and not like fall for him because one way she's that not, Hazel, she's trying to like let him not fall for her yeah kind of both ways like she's like wants to be friends with him but like she talks about she like they don't want to do anything physical because she's like she doesn't want him to fall in love with her like they don't want to go through all that and basically because hazel which i really enjoy her comparison of herself to a grenade and she's very worried that you know because at this point her cancer is terminal so like she is gonna die i mean we're all gonna die but like she's gonna die relatively soon like she's not gonna live a full life and she compares herself to a grenade because she says when she explodes everyone who cares about her and knows her will get shrapnel stuck inside of them and it's obviously gonna hurt them when she passes away so she doesn't really want to grow the number of people who care about her so like She's trying to minimize the casualties, as she describes it, which I just think is a really nice metaphor. And, like, I think, like, a really, like, selfless way of thinking. Yeah. I, on a much smaller note, this is one of those moments where I really related to Hazel. I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I moved a lot growing up. And this is something that, like, I experienced both myself and in other people, is that, like, in like the six or eight months before I would move, either I or someone else would pull away, like close friends, we would be less close than we were before in order to prevent this exact kind of effect of like, 
when that person is no longer in your life, that damage. Obviously, what she's talking about is much more severe than, like, moving to a different country. But, like, if this was a moment where, like, she was describing this teenage approach of, like, I'm going to protect other people, which is really thoughtful of her, but also is, like, something a self-aware teenager would do, but, like, therefore is, like, robbing her of, could be robbing her of, like, happiness in the moment and happiness for other people that they're willing to take on. And that's something that, like, as an adult is way easier to understand, like, that it's worth being happy in the time that you have. Whereas a teenager, you know, we're a little angsty, or we were a little angsty, and we're like, I'm just going to save everyone the pain. So... Again, I, th- I agree. I think it's a really beautiful comparison. And I just was like, oh, I really relate to this. Yeah, that's definitely also a very big identifying factor for Hazel's character that she is so self-aware. And like she talks a lot about her parents and how she really wants them to like go on with their lives when she passes away. Like she doesn't want them to be like you know, plenty of married couples, If when their child dies, like, sometimes they can't go on together. It drives a wedge between them. So I do, like, that's something that's, like, a big part of her character. But transitioning on back to the book that she speaks about, the um, An Imperial Affliction, which is basically, it's a book about a girl who also has cancer. And the biggest thing with this book is that it the book ends like in the middle of a sentence and so she just like wants to know what happens because she's assuming that the main character that cancer dies and she wants to know like but what about the other characters because even if the girl who passed away she dies but like what about everybody else because obviously those people don't just cease to exist she wants to know what has happened to them so like she's trying to figure out what's going to happen to the people that she loves when she's gone exactly it's, like she doesn't like, say it like that but that's how it, pretty much that's yeah what she wants to know after. that like oh if these people are able to like go on in this fictional world i think that my family will be able to move on as well kind of thing and so let's go ahead and talk about because augustus does get a response from the author which is like through his secretary basically and she's invited them to come visit him in amsterdam because they don't want like, he's like, I can't write anything on paper because you might try to, like, sell it and tell the whole world or something. It's like, the only way I can tell you is if you come physically in person to Amsterdam. And they, like, have this whole thing because Hazel's already used her wish, which, like we said, it's basically the same as, like, the Make-A-Wish Foundation that does for cancer patients of they get, like, to do something that they've always wanted to do. And she did hers, like, at Disney World back when she was, like, 12 or 13 when she had, like, she really thought she was going to die. But then she kind of got her second chance. So Augustus decides that he's going to use his wish that he never used, which they call it, like, the genies. He's going to use his wish to take them to Amsterdam. And this, I was like, this is not real. Like, they're not actually going to Amsterdam. Like, I was shocked that Hazel was allowed to go. I was shocked that they, like, like, there was a little back and forth thing, but, like, I did not realize this was actually going to happen. But they get on the plane. Yes, and I think this also, like, the fact that they are able to go is, does, like, show that, like, Hazel is not maybe, like, getting better, but she's stabilizing in her condition. Because basically, like, again, we obviously don't really understand the medical stuff that's talked about in the book, but I think she's on some kind of drug that's basically, like, 
made it so like her lungs are able to like function with her like oxygen tank and like she's able to live and she just has to regularly get her lungs drained of fluid it's like something like that so she's kind of her condition has leveled out yeah as long as she's connected to an oxygen tank i did also this is a little jumping ahead but since you mentioned the drug right now at the end of the book john greena has another note where he's again he's talking about like this is fiction and he's like this drug is made up it doesn't exist I wish for the whole world that it did exist. Um, but, like, he writes something about it, and I was just like, again, I'm I'm obviously not an oncologist. Neither of us is. But it was, yeah. That's just, I just wanted to preface that because it is a made-up drug. Yes, it's um, all fictional. But, yes, you're absolutely right that, like, the doctor does say that, like, she must be somewhat stabilized if she's willing to go on a, you know, pressurized cabin. Well, she's able to do that, and also the doctor ends up just basically being like, it's Hazel's life, and if this is what she wants to do, it is her life to live. So I thought that was, like, good to, like, give her the choice, but also just the fact that, like, she is essentially healthy enough to actually make the journey. So they do get on the plane, they go to Amsterdam, but I did want to mention that before before they leave, when Hazel does, like, she takes a little bit of a break from the support group, when she does eventually go back... This is, like, not supposed to be funny, but basically she finds out that that 12-year-old boy, his name was Michael, that had leukemia, he did pass away. So he took the elevator. So she was right. That's not funny, but I just had to point it out. Yeah, it was, like, it's heartbreaking. But, yes, she was right. I mean, Hazel was right, yeah. So they do go to Amsterdam, and on the plane, Augustus says that he's in love with Hazel, which, you know, ah, shocker. Of course he's in love with her. She's incredible. But obviously Hazel is like, her plan is not working to like not have them fall in love or anything. And so that's why she doesn't say it back because again, she doesn't want to hurt him when she inevitably dies. And I don't know when I was like reading this, (laughs) I was just wondering, Charles, like, does this make your like heart melt or do you find it a little cringy? Because I definitely find this like, it's very sweet. Like, I don't know. I, I can't find it cringy. Like, yeah, I wouldn't say it's cringy. I I thought it was fine. I mean, I was like, thank goodness Augustus didn't, like, pressure her to reciprocate because everyone knows I've been in a situation before where, like, I've been pressured to, like, f- like, I should feel the same way. Like, I should also feel like I can say that. And that's not how Hazel feels at all. Like, Augustus is not making her feel that way, that she has to do that. Um. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make my heart melt because I'm like, I mean, I guess more time has passed than like, you know, we're, we're just reading it. I just find it, I think because it's again, like, it's very like, because like they're, well, at least Hazel is like, yes, they're very young, but like, they're very young, but they have basically have been told that their lifespan is much shorter than like a normal person. So I think, I guess I find it very heart melting or heartwarming because it's like, it's really nice to read that someone who is has been dealt this really hard hand is still getting to like experience like first love and like go through that. Yeah. I that I sense? totally agree with that. I will say, um, real cringe. The fact that Augustus has never been on a plane is his first time flying is gonna be transatlantic. I was like, we need some coaching. We need some coaching. Like, I mean I guess he fly they fly <laughs> what Indianapolis to Detroit and then Detroit to Amsterdam, but I was like, um uh that's a, a a stressful flight to take as your first one, but okay. He's doing it for Hazel. I guess. 
but no, I mean, it's sweet. Yeah, I would say it's sweet. I, you know, it's a book. It didn't make me feel like, I didn't feel like, wow, these two people are truly in love and I'm so happy to see their love. But um, I did, I thought it was sweet. And so they go to meet Van Houten, who's the author, and he didn't realize they were coming because it was all organized by his assistant. This, perfect example of cringe. Um, because I was like, you're joking. Also, because I'd written down in my notes earlier, I was like, what if Augustus is making up all this correspondence? Like, he made up the email address. <laughs> I did write that down. I was like, this could all be made up, which is why I was, like, a little in disbelief that they were flying to Amsterdam. But I was like, guess it can't be, because, like, if Augustus has been making this up and they fly to Amsterdam, like, that's not a great joke. <laughs> and then, like, it almost... That'd be a pretty terrible joke. And then it almost happens, because Van Houten's like, I didn't actually want you to come. And, it, you know, they react way calmer than I would during the situation. Like, if I had gotten on an international flight to fly somewhere for just three days to be harassed and mocked and abused by some drunk man, I would be uh, a lot less pleasant than they were. I mean, Hazel does, like, raise her voice a little bit at him, and she does get upset. And, I mean, he does say some pretty terrible things, but... Yeah, I think Hazel gets, like, reasonably upset, but, like, not so much because ultimately she does want him to tell her what she wants to know. So I think she doesn't want to get too, like, crazy because she wants to get what, like, she wants him to tell her. So, but I I, I think that she gets reasonably upset, which makes sense because to her, this is essentially, like, her wish. Like, obviously Augustus wants to know too, but, like, she's read the book, like, 500 times. Like, she wants to know. Yeah. But anyway, they end up leaving, and his assistant, like, the next day ends up taking them to the Anne Frank house. And basically, like, they go, and the assistant, like, didn't realize that there was, like, not an elevator to, like, get to the top of the museum. And But Hazel's like, I'm going to do it anyway. And, like, remember, she carries around, like, a, she rolls around a little oxygen tank with her. So, like, stairs are not great for her. But she does it, and they make it all the way to the top. Her and Augustus, and then her and Augustus. Also, he's limping because he has a prosthetic leg. Yes, he has a prosthetic leg. So they're both like struggling, but they both make it to the top and they end up kissing for the first time at the top, like this whole thing of emotion. And like, it's really like tight in there in the museum. So like, there's not that yeah. many people. It's a very small museum. It's a very small museum. It's like people can't really fit, but. They're, like, just making out, basically, in the middle of, like, the Anne Frank Museum. And when they, like, stop, there's all these adults, like, staring at them. And then they start applauding them. Like, how absurd is that? Like, I totally forgot about that. And I was, like, they applauded? Because even Hazel's, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we're, like, kissing. Like, (laughs) like, that's totally disrespectful. Yeah, it is, Hazel. It is. Get it together. (laughs) Yeah, that was a little fantastical. I mean... I do think, like, if you had seen them, like, really fighting together. I but think I'm like, when you think of, but I think if you really actually imagine it as they are, a girl with an oxygen tank and tubes going to her nose, a boy who's limping up, who they, sh- all these adults struggle, saw them struggle to get up, and then they kiss at the top, I, I think I would have applauded too, let's be real. That's what I'm saying, I'm like, I'm not, it's not, like, full-on ridiculous, but it's, like, a little ridiculous. And. It's like what. 
Hazel describes like the cancer perks. I feel like yeah. that was one of those. Yeah. And then uh, we, didn't, we didn't talk about the fact that they have to take go down the stairs again, which would kill me. Um, no, they didn't have to go down the stairs. There was an elevator to go down. Oh, okay. Thank goodness. Like once they, she's, Hazel says like once they got to like the certain part, then it was just an elevator down and she was like, thank God. Oh, okay. I must've read quite past that because they go back to the hotel and they have sex, which I will tell you, I was not expecting. This is. Oh yeah. I knew that was going to happen. Obviously. Obviously. But this is their first day of kissing and they go all the way. I mean, not saying like they weren't, prepared or you know emotionally ready charles they're dying (laughs) i was gonna say i think it's totally fine but i just was like oh i didn't realize we're going this direction but you know here we are well it's just like i still can't believe when in divergent they never had sex did they no they got so close a couple times and that's more shocking that's also shailene woodley yep Recently single, Shailene Woodley. (laughs) Anyway, I know some pop culture. There you go. So she does write him a really cute little love letter, which I thought was adorable and very much her sort of sense of humor. And, you know, I mean, I'm happy for them. Well, I'm bad to be, you know, it's bad to be real sad in a second. Yes. So... Here we go, where I feel like the book was, like, on the rise, and then it was, like, just kidding, no one gets to be happy. But So we get the big reveal the next day that Augustus' cancer has come back, and it's terminal. So, did you see that coming, Charles, that, like, his cancer would come back? Because for me, this is the point of the book where, for the rest of the story, I'm just trying not to cry. So, no, I did not see it coming that Augustus' cancer was going to come back. We're obviously led to think the whole time that Hazel is going to pass sometime maybe soon. And what I was expecting was for him to want to go with her or something like that. Or for like, you know, I don't know, her to take out her. Very Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Like, or he, like, I don't know. She was going to take out her canula, which is the thing that like helps her breathe. Like take that out to like, I don't know. I thought it was going to be like something like she's choosing her ending. I, I don't know. I did not expect him to be sick, but you know, Shakespearean twist right there. So this is where for me, I just feel like, I mean, I know that they said Augustus's cancer came back. I don't know if I was like super clear to me that they said it was terminal. And again, I think this is just how I possibly like misremembered things, but I wrote down this one line. This is when their good friend, Isaac, who has like officially gone blind and his girlfriend broke up with him. They take him to her house to, like, egg her house, basically. And she takes a picture of Isaac and Augustus together. And at the end of that chapter, she says, I never took another picture of him. And I was like, I don't remember this line at all. Like, I just didn't remember that it was so clear and, like, obvious after they revealed that his cancer was back that he was going to die. Because, like, I distinctly remember when I finished the book, I, like, sobbed, like, at the end. Wait, so you... So he tells her in Amsterdam that it's, his cancer's come back. You didn't realize then that he was going to die? So I think... The first time you read it. Yes, this is, this is, yes. We're all talking about the first time I read it. So I think for me, 
from what I'm trying like of how remembering this first time of reading, I think I was really honestly just shocked by the twist that Hazel wasn't going to die because obviously, like you said, it was really being set up that she was going to be the one who died and he was in remission. And I guess even if, and then I think on top of that, I think why I didn't like remember it, like how it is, is because even if you realized that he was going to die, like, even though it does tell you that he's going to die, like it doesn't make the ending any less heartbreaking. Like, even though, you know, it's coming, like, it's still like, I don't know, like it broke me. I feel like when I read it the first time, especially, I mean, again, this book came out in 2012, I was 14 reading it, a lot more teenage emotions, (laughs) but like, Yes, they reveal that he's terminal and that the cancer is everywhere. And I think that for me, like, what I'm thinking of why I, like, sobbed at the end of the book is maybe I just wasn't prepared for, like, all of the emotions that were going to come with him actually dying. Mm. And maybe that's why when I'm trying to remember, when I was trying to, like, remember how the story went, I didn't remember it being so obvious that, like, he was going to die. Gotcha. Because, like, knowing knowing that he was going to die didn't make it easier to read. Sure. Which, like, I mean, for you, you read it for the first time. If that it felt that way for you, but yeah, for me, I mean, wasn't easy to read. But as soon as he says that his cancer is everywhere, I I knew that he was going to pass. Like, I knew that. I think it maybe because I'm again reading it for the first time as an adult. The tone of it, like the one, the way he says it, of like it's everywhere, and she says something like, "We know everywhere is a bad sign," and then like. The way that she and everyone's talking about it afterwards, it's like like a quiet, like an open secret that that's what's going on. Um, which I think definitely, if you were a young reader, you would not know that because it doesn't say like Augustus is going to die now in a month. It says like, but it's heavily implied. Also, like I you know had cancer scares in my family, so like therefore like. I'm familiar with the gradations of it and like, you know, everywhere is a really bad sign. I think, I I don't think that it's that. I think for me, now that you're saying that too, as a younger reader, I feel like I don't even think like at that point, like what books would I have read where like characters actually die? I feel like in my head, I was like, there's no way they're going to kill a character. I feel like that was probably my mindset. Uh, You hadn't read Harry Potter. Well, no, I did not read Harry Potter as a kid. But, like, I'm thinking, because even, like, I probably hadn't read Divergent yet, which, like, obviously, she kills the main character. We hate that book. Anyway, but, like, in the Hunger Games, like, I always talk about the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games, they didn't kill, like, the main characters. They killed... Um, Finnick? But Finnick is not a main character from day one. I'm talking about Katniss, Peeta, Gale. None of those three main characters died. That's what uh, I'm saying of, like, the, who you would died. say, who were the main, main characters. Then you think of, like, Twilight, another book I would have read before this book. None of the main okay, characters. one of them literally cannot die. Well, I guess anyway, he but tries, like I'm he saying, tries I'm thinking book. of books I had read before. Also, like, this was probably, like, one of the first, like, really sad books I read. Like, I don't know. I just, that's why I'm thinking of why I'm, like, remembering of how I was just so devastated. I feel like being, like, there's no way. There's no way he's going to die. But I mean, this is why we would do this podcast, because that's like truly pointing out the whole point and the difference in perspective that like, to me, it was like they, I opening the book, I'm fully prepared for any number and all characters to die. Like, I'm not saying I want that, but I'm like, it's not gonna, but it makes perfect sense that like, as a younger reader, like, 
you wouldn't go in with that like being a remote possibility. So this is why we do the podcast, guys. That was a meta moment. Thank you, Asia. And so as he's getting closer to passing, the writing gets much more curt. Like she's reporting rather than experiencing it. Um, you know, she's very like romantic and loquacious when they're falling in love. And, you know, it's like, okay, 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 such a sexy word. Like, you know, all that goes out the window. It's very much like he had a bad day today. I couldn't go over there because I was having a bad day too. You know, like the the writing changes. And I think that was really powerful because that was, you know, it felt accurate for the situation. Yes. And then they end up returning to the little heart of Jesus Christ because Augustus wants to experience his funeral while he's still alive, basically. So he has Isaac and Hazel read him eulogies. And I think this is also where, like, I definitely like crying. Like, (laughs) it's so sad like I do think it was really important for her to actually get to read him her like eulogy like something real because as she says at the end of the book like funerals are really for the living like obviously we don't know if the person who died is actually there like gets to actually hear what happens but it is also for the living it's how people like are able to like move on so I think it was really like moving to watch like him get this like pre-funeral so yeah definitely very yeah. heartbreaking moment, especially because this is pretty much, like, right before, like, it's over. Yeah. It's, like, six days before he, yeah, he gets to be sent off by people that he cares about and know him as he is, as he's about to pass. And, like, that, you know, that's that comes up in the funeral himself, itself, like, that someone speaks about, like, he was so good at basketball. And, like, Hazel and Isaac know that the Gus who is alive or the Gus who is about to pass doesn't care at all about basketball. But, like, you know, it's nice that he gets to have... It's really beautiful that he gets to have that moment with the people he cares about. And that was the moment when I started feeling, like, the tear duct, like, welling action. You know, I didn't actually cry, but, like, I could feel that warmth on the eyelids. The choked up feeling, like, you're like, I'm not going to cry right now while I'm reading on the subway. I, I was on, <laughs> I gotta keep I was it on together. the subway, and it was cold, and I was about to get off, and I was like, if I cry, and there are tears on my face when I go outside in They're New York City freeze. right now, I'm going to have frozen tears on my face. And honestly, I could do without that. So then, yes, like Charles kind of said, pretty much it's, yeah, it's like six days after they have the pre-funeral, he passes away, which, before we get into this... On a kind of light-hearted note before we get into the really sad part, I just want to tell, Charles always has his personal anecdotes, little personal stories. When I saw the movie in theaters, I've told Charles the story before. So this is the part I was talking about, Charles. But basically, obviously, I saw this, like, opening weekend, like, Friday night. There, The whole theater was packed. And I was with, like, a bunch of my friends. And obviously, everyone's crying. And right at the saddest part of the movie, which I believe is when... Hazel is, like, told by her parents, like, she gets the phone call that Augustus has passed away. Everyone's dead silent in the theater, and all of a sudden you hear, (laughs) and the whole theater burst into laughter because this one girl was sobbing so loudly, and, like, it was dead silent, and everyone, I'm not kidding, everyone in the theater started laughing. It was the saddest part of the whole movie, and everyone started laughing, and it's just something I'll never forget because it was just 
so funny, but like it was the saddest part of the movie. But that's anyway, amazing. Back to the book. Yes, he passes away. It was very, very sad, especially too because Hazel wasn't like with him. He was obviously he was in the hospital with his family. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to say John Green really gets the grief exactly right. And you bring up me bringing up personal anecdotes, but like we are, you know, about like we're in, we're recording this within a week of what will be one year since my grandfather passed. And so I've already like had sort of grief on my mind personally. We did not plan these units to sync up like this, but here we are. And I just like when she calls his phone afterwards and she realizes she's never going to hear him again. That was like that really, really struck a chord for me because. Like, you know, that's how I, you know, that's how I've experienced grief as well. Like when you realize that that person, you're not going to hear their voice again. It was. Yeah, that's when like, again, as close as I, you know, could get to breaking in this book, that's when it happened for me. And you need to start talking because I'm going to start breaking now. Okay, moving on pretty quickly then. So, uh, yes, that happens. And then she ends up hearing from Isaac, basically, that he mentioned something that he thinks that Augustus was writing something for Hazel, like, right before he passed away. Like, he had a notebook that was always with him. And I think the parents, like, mentioned it, too. And she's, like, trying to find this thing. But... Basically, we finally figure out that he was trying to write a eulogy for Hazel because they, like, talked about this, about, like, how, you know, she wrote a eulogy for him and how he said he really wanted to write a eulogy for her. And, but instead of, like, giving it to her, he sends it to Van Houten, the author of her favorite book, because he basically is like, I have all these things I want to say to Hazel, but, like, I'm not that good at writing, so, like, I was really hoping you could, like, put something together, which was, like, sweet because he's, like... I guess, not confident in his writing. But I felt like he could have at least, like, sent a copy to somebody else because he literally sends the only copy to him. And, like, if Van Houten... We've seen Van Houten's not been really reliable. Yeah, Van Houten's not really been reliable. So, and, like, again, he was only 17, so, like, I understand, like... But I was just, like, I feel like that wasn't the smartest decision. Yeah. But she is able to still get the letter eventually. Yeah. Yeah, that was a very 17-year-old step because, especially because Van Houten has this, like, like, little redemption moment when he actually, like, flies to Augustus's funeral and, like, talks to Hazel and they come to, like, a bit more of an understanding. I mean, not much, but, like, a little better than, you know, when he was being honestly, like, pretty cruel in his house in Amsterdam. But, yeah, that was something a 17-year-old would do because um, you need a backup. You need to scan those files, share them with multiple people. Which, really quick for Van Houten, I think it was very interesting that it was revealed that he did have a daughter that passed away from cancer, from leukemia, very young. So it kind of, I feel like, helped develop his character. Of He wrote this incredible book about cancer, but how he has, like, pretty much since then lived, like, a pretty sad lonely life because he probably has never really dealt with the grief and hasn't really been dealing with it. So, yeah. but what I, I think I thought that was like a nice conclusion to his character. Oh yeah. But I think what I think I meant to say, but I got 
a little sidetracked or maybe I wasn't clear, it was like his redeeming moment comes after Augustus is dead. So Augustus couldn't even have had like faith in him to like. Yeah. You know, la- the last thing Augustus knows is that like Van Houten was really terrible to them in Amsterdam. Like, I mean, maybe, okay, maybe they've corresponded a little bit since then, but like unlikely because, you know, Augustus is dying. So it just, anyway, yeah, that was a 17-year-old moment. But, you know, it ties Van Houten back in for the ending. And that's kind of it. Do you have any final thoughts? I don't know. I just, I definitely enjoyed it. This is definitely a book I would highly recommend for anyone to read. It, it's, it's very sad, but it's also very cute, romantic, funny sweet i think it's a really good book i mean john green's a great author and i'm sure we'll cover more of his books on the podcast in the future he has a lot of young adult books but yeah it is and i will definitely watch the movie because the movie from i remember is really well done but yeah i don't really think i have anything else to say it's i guess one thing i'll mention that we didn't talk about was i think i really like i think Hazel says it in her eulogy about how she's like, we don't get to determine like our infinities. Like some infinities are bigger than other infinities. And she says how even though our infinity might have been small, like it was still an infinity. Like those, however long she got to know Augustus. Like I think that was just really important because I think when we meet and interact with people, even if you don't get to be with that person for your whole life, you can only know someone for a short period of time, but they can still really change who you are as a person. I think that was like a really great message and really powerful. Well, I mean, you know, it it really works for her because, you know, like we've been saying, both of them have been spent their whole lives thinking their lives are going to be shorter than their parents. But it also, you know, what you're saying about like how it sort of applies to this idea that like, Duration doesn't matter, but, like, intimacy does. Like, how long you've known someone doesn't necessarily scale to, like, their impact on your life. And in reverse, like, how short you've known someone doesn't necessarily mean that they can't have a huge impact on your life. And, like, that's definitely something that feels, like, that's true and I think becomes more true the more adult you are. Whereas, like, you know, know, when you're a kid, maybe, like, you your best friend is, like, the person that you went to elementary, middle school, and high school with. I'm not saying that you're just friends out of convenience, because maybe those people really do become your lifelong best friend. But, like, I can definitely speak for myself that, like, my best friend is not someone that I've known since I was three, you know? Spoiler alert, his best friend is me. Our infinity is shorter than our infinity with, like, than my infinity with other people. And I know for a fact the same as true for you so yeah i think it's also just really something that anybody can relate to because obviously this is a cancer book it's about kids who have cancer and not everybody has cancer but i think like that is just a theme that like everyone can relate to like whether like charles talked about moving around and losing friends or just the average person like you're gonna meet people in your life who you might not get to experience for that long but they'll still be able to impact you and yeah i just think that was a good like what I would say is like the biggest takeaway I have from the book. Yeah. I, I think that's a perfect, perfect way to end it. I also agree. I would also recommend it. It's also a very quick read, which is, you know, doesn't hurt. And I'll just say 
As far as infinities, I would say maybe Charles liked this reference to infinities better than the perks of being much better when he says he feels well, infinite. also because this means something. And she does a whole like math thing, breaking down infinity and math. And I was like, I'm so proud of you. Yeah, she says like, you know, there's lots of numbers between like zero and one and zero. like it, it was really well done. If if any if you don't read the book, just look up her eulogy to Augustus. It was really cute. Like Oh yeah. Also like I mean the whole like you can multiply anything by infinity, it's still just infinity. And she's basically saying, like, again, it doesn't matter that someone's infinity was longer than someone else's, it's what you do with the time. Oh yeah. Really well done. Really well done. Anyway, let's wrap it up. But since we're ending on such a good note, next week we're going to cover our third of these four sort of like sad books. We're covering Eggs by Jerry Spinelli, who also has a couple of young adult books. And I think there's a good chance that we might read more of his books down the line too. But we're covering Eggs next week. So if you do read along with us, go ahead and read that whole book for next episode. It is a also a very quick read. And also, like, beautifully tragic, you know. That's the vibe of these books that we're doing. And the final book of our mini unit that we'll do next, the, after that, is going to be Bruiser by Neil Schusterman. So if you want to get ahead, you can read that for two weeks from now. And as always, if you have predictions, theories, or questions, or you just want to keep talking to us about all the books we've covered so far, remember that you can stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty and facebook.com slash thenerdparty. And to find me, I'm at Asia Bonia on TikTok and Twitter and at Asia.Bonia on Instagram. And I'm at C.E. Sheelan on Twitter. Not really. And I'm at C. Shells on Instagram. Remember that we're podcasts and the best way to grow a podcast is to rate, review, and share it. So give us a star rating, rate us review, and share it with your friends. Again, you can just be like, listen to this episode. This is like just Fault in Our Stars. And then they'll be addicted because, you know, we are... We're normally more of a comic duo, but I don't think it's really appropriate given this episode. And yeah, you know, I think yeah we we gotta we, tone it down for these episodes. Our comic duo really comes out best in the Hunger Games and Divergent episodes, I think, because the Hunger Games for were like sure we're, Divergent because that we're if you loving Hunger Games. Roast, if you want to watch a roast, listen to Divergent. <laughs> listen episodes. to our Divergent episodes. <laughs> yeah, and then check out the other great podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. There are some really great ones. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss us next week. Yep, hit that subscribe button and have a good one. We will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.